Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Katrina Blau is with you. Now, this is the comeback tour none of us wanted, measles. So Australia was declared measles-free 10 years ago, but a resurgence in cases, largely from people visiting overseas, has seen it return. This is not just an itchy rash either. It can lead to some pretty serious health problems. It can progress into having meningitis. So that's your swelling of uh, layers, tissue in the brain that can give you headaches and lead to hospitalisation. In many um, developing countries and lower middle income countries where there's also malnutrition, it can lead to deaths in children. Yeah, so in this episode of The Briefing, how and why has measles returned to Australia and just how bad the problem is? That's in the second half of this episode. First up, though, Bensie and Siebert is here with all today's headlines you need to know. It is Friday, February 16th. Well, hi, Katrina. Some big breaking news out of the US now. A New York judge has ruled that the first criminal trial against Donald Trump will begin next month. It will be the first criminal trial of an ex-president in US history. As we know, Trump is facing four criminal cases and a total of 91 individual charges as he fights to win back the presidency from Joe Biden. 34 of those charges relate to this case, which is allegations he falsified business records so that he could secretly pay the porn star Stormy Daniels not to disclose their sexual affair during the 2016 election campaign. The charges are punishable by up to four years in prison, although there's no guarantee that a conviction would result in prison time. The judge rejected Trump's lawyers' attempts to have the case thrown out. This is despite the fact that Trump's lawyers were arguing it would interfere with the election campaign. So put it in your diaries. Trump's first criminal trial kicks off on March 25. Mm, isn't that going to be a big one for the world to watch? And, you know, Trump has always said that this judge is a Trump hater. So it feeds into his narrative of, you know, being this poor, persecuted martyr. Um, the hush money <laughs> trial is expected to last six weeks. And assuming the New York case remains on schedule, this is going to open just weeks after the Super Tuesday elections. So all of this will collide on the political calendar with a time frame in which Trump's looking to sew up the Republican race and emerge as the nominee in this year's presidential contest. So that would normally be a time when Trump would be out traveling the country. Trump saying, you know, all I'm going to have to do here is just attend court by day and campaign at night. But a lot of people who've been observing him attending court so far have said that he's been attending way more than he needs to. And, and I think, you know, I mentioned that that martyr narrative before. Mm. It has been politically successful for him. It, it does feed into that message of, um, you know, the world and the system being against team. Absolutely. And I think this case is probably the least of Trump's political worries if he does eventually get convicted because of kind of the salacious nature of the case. A lot of Democrats, I remember when Trump was charged with this, were kind of despairing that of all the alleged crimes that Trump may have committed during and after his presidency, uh, this was the first one that prosecutors were going to come at him for. Of course, since then, there's been all the other charges about uh, January 6th, 
the um, storming of the capital. And uh, those ones will be um, more significant, especially if he gets convicted, because there is polling to suggest that although Republicans have kind of surged in support for Donald Trump since he's been indicted, if he's convicted, there's good evidence to suggest a good deal of the Republican base would not support him. The government is facing calls to overhaul Australia's university loans system, Hex Help. Many of us were hit with a massive 7.1% rise in our Hex debts at the middle of last year, and that's because Hex is tied to the rate of inflation. So lots of people's Hex debts jumped several thousand dollars or, in some cases, even more because of it. Now, politicians across the spectrum, except it's worth noting the Labor government, have called on the system to change. Uh, Senator David Pocock is one of them, telling Triple J's hack program yesterday he'd be open to freezing student debts, although he thought a more realistic option would be to tie hex indexation to the long-term government bond rate when that rate is lower than inflation. That sounds like something much more likely to get across the line. Here's Green Senator Maureen Faruqi addressing the parliament yesterday. Will the government intervene urgently to ensure that people are not hit with an obscene increase in their student debts on 1 June? So the Coalition and the Greens, who usually don't agree on much, have also expressed worries about hex indexation, but the government says that we need indexation so that taxpayers that pay for university loans get their money back. Yeah, I guess, you know, that, that's important <laughs> of all the things that that we we need reform with in the taxation system. Yeah, definitely um, not slugging people who are not earning at their full potential would be very important. I was reading this morning, Bensi, and that the average hex debt is around 25 grand, but you and I were discussing mm. when we paid our hex debts off, <laughs> which for you wasn't that long ago, thank you. God, you've done it now, though. Um, and you were saying that you've got a mate who is paying off way more than that. Yeah, they're a doctor. Their original hex debt, I think, was uh, $100,000 and oh. it went up almost ten grand um, with the indexation last year. So I think they'll be paying that off for quite some time. The Israeli army has raided the largest remaining hospital in Gaza, with Israel claiming Hamas is hiding hostages there. Nasser Hospital is the largest functioning hospital in Gaza, and the IDF has been staking out the facility for the last few days before conducting the raid. A Doctors Without Borders spokesperson said the IDF shelled the facility yesterday, killing and injuring an undetermined number of people. Israel has said it believed Hamas terrorists were holed up inside the hospital and that there may be Israeli hostages being held there. Palestinian refugees were also using the hospital as a safe haven. And before we get into this final headline, I should point out, if you're wondering what that weird sound is in the background of white noise, um, I'm in Brisbane, Benson's in Melbourne. It is bucketing down with rain in Brisbane. So apologies if that white noise is making you feel sleepy. Uh, and finally, the UK has slid into recession. Britain's GDP falling by 0.3% in the final quarter of last year. And it followed a 0.1% fall in the quarter before that. So two consecutive 
quarters of contraction equals them being in a recession. Not great news for their PM, Rishi Sunak, whose ruling Conservative Party is already trailing Labor in the polls. Should point out that no date has yet been set for the UK election, but it has to be held sometime before next January. And Bensian back home, January's unemployment figures have climbed above 4% for the first time in two years. The number of new jobs is just 500. So record high immigration is seen to be one of the biggest factors. Now, this might sound not so great, but a slowing economy was always part of the plan. And that's what the RBA has been waiting to see before cutting interest rates, which, you know, a lot of economists are still hoping will happen in June. Yeah, but the RBA won't want it slowing down too much because we don't want to be in a recession too. It's a pretty delicate balancing act that they're having now. All right. Thank you, Bensie. And that is it for the headlines for this Friday. Let's get into our deep dive all about measles. The world is in the grip of a resurgence of measles. The World Health Organization has issued an alert over alarming increases in Europe, the US and Asia. In recent weeks, we've had a series of measles alerts across Australia too, after cases were identified in returned travellers. Australia was declared measles-free 10 years ago. So why is it making a comeback in 2024? And what can we do about it? Associate Professor Mayru Shiel is an infectious disease expert at Sydney University School of Public Health. Professor, thanks for joining us. I suppose a good place to kick off would be, could you tell us exactly what measles is? I guess measles, you know, it's a very old, very well-known disease to many people in the world. A lot of people would have heard about it. It's actually one of the most contagious diseases in the world. It's caused by a virus and it's a highly contagious virus. So we often in epidemiological terms say that one case of measles can actually lead to 20 cases, up to 20 cases of measles. It's an airborne pathogen, so it spreads from person to person through airborne particles. And when you get infected with the measles virus, if you're not um, vaccinated, then it's, um, I guess, symptoms are like many other respiratory diseases. But the first one often we see is fever and what's called a rash. So you'll see a rash in your mid-tummy line. It's quite common in children in parts of the world where vaccination coverage is Poor. And then it can go on to progress into, I guess, a cough or watery eyes. And it's preventable, but it can also lead to complications. So it can lead to hospitalization in children and pregnant women. So it's of particular risk to unvaccinated young children or children who are too young to be vaccinated and pregnant women. And while we don't see deaths and that many complications in Australia and many other parts of the world, like Africa and Asia, we still see complications from measles. So it can be quite a dangerous disease, which starts off with milder symptoms, but it can be quite a dangerous disease. How can it progress then for people who catch it and who aren't vaccinated against it? Not every case will progress, but sometimes it can progress into having meningitis. So that's your swelling of uh, layers, tissue in the brain that can give you headaches and lead to hospitalisation. In many um, developing countries and lower middle income countries where there's also malnutrition, it can lead to deaths in children 
as well. So there's lots of complications, but we don't see those complications in Australia because, of course, we have a much um, stronger health system. Overall, health of people is better, but also we have higher vaccination rates in Australia. Yeah, let's talk about that and why you mentioned in your first answer that to most Australians, it might sound like an old-fashioned illness or disease. Why are we seeing an increase in cases now? It's really interesting of how we are now seeing an increase in measles. It's not surprising. So one of the reasons why we are seeing this increase in measles is an impact of the pandemic. Because what happened in the pandemic was it was a multifaceted things and complications that happened. As you might recall, many countries that had massive lockdowns and travel shut down, we stopped seeing respiratory pathogens spread. So we didn't see any influenza in the world flu for like those two years of the pandemic. Similarly, we also didn't see measles in many parts of the world because essentially by having these lockdowns and travel shutdown, remember all diseases that spread person to person went away for some time because that's how diseases, these disease spread is when people come together And post-pandemic, we've come back and, of course, everyone's travelling, everyone's moving, borders are open. We have high-density settings. We're going to parties and gatherings and church ceremonies and many other big gatherings where a disease like measles, which starts, can almost spread from four days before you even see a rash. So, again, in COVID, people heard about how you could spread the infection to somebody even before you were expressing your symptoms. Similarly, for measles, you can almost do that from four days before your first symptom appears. So the rash appears. So it's very infectious. And about four to five days afterwards, you get the rash. So the infectious period for measles is high. And if you think about if one case can give it to 20 people, how quickly it can spread in large settings. Again, you might remember, we talked a lot about herd immunity in COVID, where it was difficult to achieve. And with measles, we know we can achieve herd immunity. So if we can have lots of vaccinated people around an infectious case, because the vaccine is so effective, it won't spread to those 20 people that I'm talking, it can potentially spread to. So by this drop in vaccination rate, we've essentially taken away this element of herd immunity that we were getting, which is what is leading to some of the larger outbreaks in the world. Another third factor that happened in the pandemic was how we detect and monitor what's happening with the disease. The surveillance programs also got disrupted. So we stopped detecting new cases. So we didn't detect, say, cases of measles until much later. So we know that the sooner you detect a case, you can put an outbreak response or contact tracing and vaccination around those. All things that we did in COVID actually come from many of these diseases where we've been doing that. So all of these uh, things were disrupted during the pandemic, and we really haven't been able to catch up on those disruptions and those lags and delays and drops in vaccination around the world, which is sort of leading a combination of these factors are leading to these larger outbreaks. Yeah, the pandemic has a lot to answer for, doesn't it? I wonder if anti-vaccination beliefs and also vaccine fatigue have had a role at all with measles vaccinations. Have you seen anything to indicate that? What we have seen in most of the data so far around the world is that most people still want to get vaccinated. So empirical evidence historically has said about only 1% to 2% of the population around the world don't want to get vaccinated or truly anti-vaccine. Some people might be hesitant or have questions, but for diseases like measles, we have been able to do well and where we haven't done well is because of access issues. 
and we've seen this for many years around the world, but if you even look at the global numbers, the World Health Organization recommends that most populations at a population level, we should have about 95% of your population vaccinated for measles. But globally, the data from last year, only 83% of the world's population had one dose. So it's more an issue of access and barriers and service delivery around that and how we're engaging populations. There are probably elements of, um, I guess, maybe vaccine fatigue or other concerns that people have or questions, but we we know we've done well with measles vaccination. It was on the path for elimination, as you say. It was, I guess, there was a global understanding. So there was a motion passed at the World Health Assembly 20 years ago that we will eliminate measles by 2020 originally it was, then it got pushed away. So we know it's possible, biologically possible, to eliminate measles. And we also know that because the vaccine is so cheap, it costs less than one US dollar per dose, we actually can afford it. And it's a good economic case because we would see lesser hospitalization debts from those cases. So it's doable. We we were on the path and there have been big obstacles on the way. <laughs> well, let's talk about getting back on the path. I remember as a kid, I grew up in Australia. I went to school in Australia and I lined up with all my other classmates when I was five and they shot us with a bunch of stuff. I can't even remember what I was vaccinated against, but we all got the same vaccinations. If you're listening to this, for me personally, am I still protected if I was vaccinated as a child? And if not, is there an adult vaccine so that I could go and get that shot? So good question. So in Australia, we recommend two doses of the measles vaccines at 12 and 18 months of age. And most children would be vaccinated. So in Australia, our um, measles vaccination is at about 92.6 at two years of age. So we're very close to being what the target needs to be. And most people, um, if you're born after the 1960s, would have received two doses of the vaccine. And what people can do if they're unsure, they can actually go to their GP and or a healthcare provider and have this conversation to check their vaccination status. And if they are unsure, and they're particularly if they are traveling overseas, it is worth having a conversation because a lot of cases we often, Australia eliminated measles and achieved that status a long time ago, about 2014, remember. So, and we've maintained our measles elimination status. But most of the cases that we see in Australia are from either somebody who's a return traveller or has been exposed overseas and comes back and then is at, I guess, a big, large gathering and we might see outbreaks in that setting amongst a population that is traditionally under-vaccinated. So particularly if there are people who are travelling and, you know, travelling to Africa or Asia or other parts of the world, UK at the moment, if you are travelling and Um, you're unsure of your vaccination history. Most people can get that through their Australian Immunisation Register record, but they need to talk to their healthcare provider as well. If you're unsure, then have a conversation about your measles vaccination status and um, you can get a dose for that vaccine as well. So it is available for adults if they want it. It's not part of the routine program because that's for children. But if you're unsure about your status, you can go and have a conversation with your healthcare provider. That was Associate Professor Mayru Shiel, an infectious disease expert at Sydney University School of Public Health. 
That's all for the podcast this morning. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back the Savo at three for all the latest on ChatGPT being rolled out in schools. And if you'd like to get in touch with us here at The Briefing, so many of you have lately. Thank you so much. Maybe you've got an idea for an episode or you want to have your say on something we've spoken about. You too can get in touch. Just head to our Instagram page and send us a message. Simple as that, The Briefing on Instagram. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Thanks for listening. Listener.